Justin Dodd, NRG Realty Group. NRG Realty Group. This is interesting because, you know, your name sounds like you guys are a real estate firm. But when I looked at your logo and saw you on your uh, social media posts, it looked like there was an oil uh, logo next to your your uh, acronym of a name. So talk to me a little bit about how you guys are involved with the oil and gas industry. Yeah, sure. So, you know, by nature of our business, we're a commercial real estate brokerage company. But our niche is working with oil field service companies and, and companies that are associated with the oil and gas industry. And so we're based in Dallas-Fort Worth, but we don't do deals in Dallas. And so someone will say, hey, what's the market like in Fort Worth or what's the market like in Dallas? And I said, well, I really don't know because I pour all of my time and effort into the shale play markets, you know, what's going on in South Texas or West Texas out in the Permian and all across the country in the shale play markets. And so when when I started the company and specifically about the logo, it was like, okay, how do I let people know that even though I'm calling from a 214 area code or my office address is in DFW, how do they know that I'm real about the oil field service? And and so we decided, okay, let's put a, a oil derrick in the logo and then try to put it in industrial buildings. So about 90% of our deals are going to be these industrial you know, field offices or metal buildings with a small component of office with some yard space. You know, how do we, how do we put that in the logo? And so that's what, that's what we came up with. Kind of interesting, uh, a few things that you said in there, and I'm going to circle back in just a moment or two, but the uh, NRG, is that any affiliation to any other company or is that just your, your own acronym amongst your, your own partners and yourself? No. So they're, there was a company that, that, you know, now it's been acquired and so it doesn't exist, exist but it was 77 Energy Services. And it was Aubrey McClendon's spin off of Chesapeake. And their website used to be 77NRG. And so if you say NRG fast enough, it sounds like energy. So Energy Realty Group. Oh, it's like that's a license like, plate deal. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's about as creative as I can get. Okay. Uh, well, there was, a, you know, NRG was in the news recently, made a big purchase. And, you know, a lot of these, you know, you mentioned Chesapeake in there. And I know Conoco and Whiting, for example, they, they all have little subsidiary companies, generally not named, you know, the same. But some cases they probably are. So I just thought I'd check because it was in the news and I didn't realize it was, you know, keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> That's about what it is, you know, energy. <laughs> so it's, right, and, and, you know, there's a really big natural gas conglomerate, and they used to own the, and they might still do, but the Houston Texans Stadium is NRG Stadium. And so us being a super small company, we've got five people in the whole company that people have asked, so are you the, you're the owner of NRG? <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, I don't own the stadium that the Houston Texans play in, not yet. Not yet, but hey, you know, who knows? Maybe someday you will, right? Because the, the new stadium might not even have people. It might just have holograms of people and cardboard cutouts the way that... Yeah, I, really, I own a cloud server somewhere that... <laughs> exactly, you know, eSports, right? That's the, next, that's the next wave. But hey, you mentioned something about phone numbers and, you know, the, the kind of the fear of, uh, of an unknown phone number or not the right area code. And, you know, that's one thing that's never really been talked about. And I would love, you know, it, and it's over now. Um, I think that those days are over. But I remember early in 
2010, 11, 12, even into 13, man, up in North Dakota, people would like just go get a cell phone just to make sure they had that North Dakota area code because they felt it was so important to have an area code from the shale play that they were trying to do business in because carpetbaggers and out-of-staters and everything else. I assume Texas was the same way because when I talk to people, you know, they, they, they always mentioned the area code type thing. Um, talk to me a little bit about just that whole strategy because honestly, everybody did it. It, it, it is. And, and I don't, I think you're right. I don't think it's so much more right now, but so when I started focusing on the energy sector, it was 2012 and, you know, we were doing a lot of deals in the Eagleford and, and a lot of deals out in West Texas and particularly in West Texas, everyone knows that the area codes 432 and, you know, there is a, a bit of a good old boy network and they want to know that you're for real. And then there's also stigma against people from big cities in particular, you know, oh, you hear comments like, you know, Dallas boy or oh, they're from Dallas. You know, Dallas has that stigma. And so calling from a 214 number, I, I wanted to separate myself and, and be able to speak to somebody with a local dialect. You know, each one of these markets has a local dialect. And, and so I never I refused to change my phone number because I felt like once we got on the phone, they could hear the knowledge that I had and that I was really dedicated and, and believed in uh, what I was doing and loved the fact that I was working with oil and gas companies. And so I, I, I was able to get beyond that, uh, but certainly something that that comes up and, and came up a lot more back then, because like you said, there was a lot of people that were coming from out of town, you know, trying to sell anything from, you know, to anybody. And Oh, you had guys just renting, um, you know, um, coat room space just so they could hang their hat, uh, just so they would have, <laughs> right. just so they'd have a physical address in the state that they were trying to, you know, wine and dine the oil companies from it was you know looking back it was it was so much uh it it, it wasn't unethical really because the intention of the people was to grow into those markets you know it wasn't that's that that's why to me it never bothered me because a lot of a lot of unethical business really bothers me it really does but that one didn't it was you know i get that and that was that was just you know, a hundred to two hundred dollar little marketing, you know, hubcap on your car type of a thing. So anyway, that's that's how I, why I feel pretty comfortable talking about it because we all did it. I, you know, even it's just that that was the nature of the beast for a while. There, you just had to show that you were committed at some point. Right. Anyway, yeah, we've but, done it. Go ahead. We've got a we have a four three two phone number. And, and so that's what, we, you know, since we do commercial real estate, we help companies acquire buildings, either through lease or purchasing, but we also market them for lease and sale. And that means that we have a sign out front. And so if we have a building in Midland, we have a 432 number on the sign in front of that building. So let's talk a little bit about the different shale plays that you uh, are in, I guess, or that you, you have your... Um, pulse in because you mentioned that you know you, you you do business outside of your geographical you know proximics where, where you're located um where, where are you seeing some activity i mean you know we're seeing that uh jerry jones is buying you know mineral rights in the in the haynesville which you know all of a sudden people are looking at east texas again and then 
you got Warren Buffett buying the natural gas pipeline a week after, you know, it goes belly up. So, you know, there's there are some macro major moves happening. But my guess is, you know, just the way that if you're a realtor and we're in a real estate company, man, you're working the phones and working your emails and checking everything else. So what are you seeing out there? Yeah, so we get a lot of our information from the people that we talk to. And so, again, all of our clients having something to do with the oil and gas sector, that's who we're on the phone with every day. Of course, we have a lot of connections on LinkedIn where we're seeing updates. You know, so we see it on both sides, right? So we, we're helping companies dispose of surplus assets, you know, where they're pulling out of a market. And then we also help companies acquire new assets. And so maybe they they are pulling out of North Dakota and they're looking for a shop in West Texas, or they hear the rumor, like you said, you know, East Texas and the Haynesville and, you know, in Louisiana is picking up. Uh, and so they're looking to get something there. Our, our bread and butter market is going to be West Texas. That's where we do about probably 75% of our business, but because, you know, our clients will say, Hey, you know, thanks for helping us in West Texas. We also need a shop in the Haynesville. Then we'll go and we'll help them with a facility in East Texas. We've done transactions in every single shale play. Right now, we're working on projects, you know, in the Haynesville, in the Eagleford, in the Permian, including like the Delaware, you know, southeastern New Mexico. Uh, we've done plenty of deals in Oklahoma and Colorado, Wyoming, North Dakota, and then also Ohio, Pennsylvania. We've done disposition projects where we're getting out of you know, surplus facilities uh, in Louisiana, Mississippi, California, and Arkansas, you know, some of the places that aren't really as active anymore. Where we're seeing you know, most of the activity still is going to be in the Permian. You know, We went through you know, the, the onset of COVID, which was March and April, where it felt like everyone shut down and there was just nothing happening, no visibility in the market, trying to figure out where operations were going. And now that we've gotten into, you know, July and August, we're seeing, you know, some decisions being made as it relates to their facilities. Some both, you know, some, you know, hey, look, we're putting this on the market. We're going to shut this facility down. Others, you know, hey, you know, we're, we're expecting a contract. We have work through the end of the year. And we need this new facility. What's your background in oil and gas? I imagine there's probably your, your family is in it. it. They are, yeah. So like the passion for me started pretty early. So my dad worked in oil and gas. They drilled oil wells. And he was primarily doing, you know, back in the day, it was all vertical wells. Hydraulic fracturing and horizontal drilling didn't even exist. And so he was doing shallow Gulf of Mexico wells uh, drilled all throughout South Texas and and some up in the Panhandle, like Panhandle of Texas and Western Oklahoma. And back then, it was you know it wasn't how much oil are you going to get? It's are you even going to get any oil? And and so growing up, I would I would get to go on trips. I'd get to go visit well sites and. And because of the volatile nature of the industry, my my dad made a big point saying that, you know, you're not going to be in the oil and gas industry. You're going to do something else. You know, we're not I'm not going to let you come into oil and gas just freely and work in this this industry, which is so volatile. And so I had a you know an interest in real estate and it was like, OK, well, I really like real estate. You know, that's what I'll go to school for school for. Yeah. Re- and, yeah. Oil's way too volatile. So I'll get into real estate. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. What are you going to so, open a restaurant next and just get the trifecta done or what? <laughs> well, in the, the best part of that was I graduated college in 2009 
And so we're coming out of the, the 2008 financial crisis and there were no commercial real estate jobs there. there nobody was hiring. They would accept a resume to interview you and, and maybe oh, they just didn't like, like me, but I wasn't getting job. Tell me about it, man. I, I lost my, that, that's when I lost my business. I, uh, I, I had a real estate publication. So we, we had a publishing so we were dealing with the whole publishing paradigm getting, you know, getting its ass kicked by the internet and, and free information and Craigslist and couldn't give, you know, I invested over a quarter million dollars in our website and we didn't get back $5. We couldn't give away stuff, right? And um, it was real estate pub was 80% of our revenue. So boy, after our 30th, 40th bankruptcy notice from a builder, developer, realtor, yeah, that was the end of that. So I went and took the steady check for three years at uh, a, a, a news organization. And um, so anyways, just to validate your point, uh, 2009 was a very tough time for real estate. And that's when you got in it? That's when I was trying. So I had graduated Yeah, but that's a college. good time. Everything is low. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's what they'll say, you know, when you cut your teeth in, in, a, in a difficult, tough environment, you know, then that's a lot better. You'll understand how hard you have to work to get things done versus if you stepped into a hot market and, you know, they was just coming towards you and you were able to just uh, take it and receive it and handle it versus having to go out and hunt and kill it and, and find it. And well, the, so, well, the reason I bring it up is because you're, you're very articulate and you're very, uh, you, you flow with knowledge the way you speak. And it, is only evidence of somebody who grew up in it. And I was right. You did grow up in it. And um, I, obviously, I'm a professional interviewer, so I can pick up on these things. But it, when someone will interview someone like me, for example, who's only been in the industry for 10 years, it, I, I have a completely different presentation with my speech pattern and everything than you. You, you, for me, if, if it's farming and, you know, that sort of thing, absolutely. I can talk about that till I'm blue in the face. Cause I grew up around that, you know, that's, that's, that's what been my osmosis education. So for you, I, I just, I just noticed it. That's all. And I wanted to point that out because I, to me, it seemed like you grew up in the industry and I know that's really important for people to know that if somebody did grow up in the industry, they have that, just that extra layer of knowledge then over somebody like me, who's really only been in the industry for about you know eight ten years now so it's um anyway i just wanted to point that out uh i don't know if you want to comment on that newbies like me versus you know generational people like yourself when it comes to the industry because it's a reality and, and quite honestly what scares me is a lot of people like me are getting leadership roles and i don't know if they should be <laughs> yeah well i you know i do appreciate that I, I think it you know part of it certainly has to do how i grew up i, I think the kind of bigger aspect of that which new people can come into is the passion for it and so if you if you are truly passionate about something you're going to pour your heart into it and that that's going to come out when you're talking to people about it you know you, you talk to some guys that aren't passionate about what they do and you can just hear it you know you, they're, they're not excited about it they, they they have you know they haven't spent the time you know, to really master their trait and understand what's going on. And you can, you can tell that. And, and I hope that when I talk to people, it, I overcome their objections about, like we talked about the area code and being from Dallas by speaking to them about, you know, the knowledge and the markets and the, and the passion I have for it. 
So one of the reasons why, you know, I got into oil and gas was, you know, originally when I started this thing, it was, you know, I was doing the podcast and I was doing some writing for some newspapers and magazines. And I was essentially creating content for media organizations. And back then it was, you know, I was making a living remotely, you know, so I was, I've been doing remote stuff for 20 years now, all but three years of it successfully, which is kind of neat. But so I, you know, ironically, when I did the oil and gas, the Bach and boom was going on and I went out there and, and I just, you know, thought I'm going to actually kind of investigate against oil and gas because that was the climate change movement. And I, you know, me, I'm an environmentalist at heart and, you know, a hippie at heart. My friends call me the corporate hippie and all these different things because, you know, I eat salads every day and, you know, just all kinds of different, you know, go on walks and, you know, all kinds of just weird things, you know, that today's person doesn't do every day. So anyway, um, when I got out there, it, it totally changed my perception of the oil and gas industry. I saw how environmentally invested they were. I saw how they allowed economic opportunity. I saw how they actually build community and culture like I've never seen any other industry do. Up till that point, I had covered healthcare and government and uh, farming and banking and all kinds of different industries for the last 20 years. Because we, you know, I, I, I did magazines. You know, we, we, we did a business magazine. We did a real estate magazine. We did a, a city magazine. We did a, um, a faith magazine. So we did all kinds of different industries. The oil and gas industry was the only industry I saw that still allowed empowerment opportunity and entrepreneurship at its core. What I mean by that is there's very few industries where uh, just a regular worker can figure out a way to make something more efficient, more streamlined, and more economical for a company. And that company will say, you bet, we'll give you a contract. Because most of the companies now will actually try to take it from the employee. And in some cases, they're contractually obligated to do so. Let's not forget that Steve Jobs and Wozniak had to check with Hewlett-Packard before they could do Apple Computer. Steve Wozniak worked for Hewlett-Packard part-time on the weekends, and because of that, they owned his intellectual property, and they had to go and get the okay from Hewlett-Packard before they started Apple, and that was in the 70s. So to me, the oil and gas industry showed opportunity. The other, the thing that, you know, the thing that attracted me to real estate was that as well, was that just that pure form of capitalism where, it allowed somebody to go make money and then also give back. And that, that, that's a true capitalist. It's not just making money. No, it's giving back, too. It's, it's giving back to that community that has been so generous to you. And I saw that with oil and gas, and I saw that with real estate. And um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that, about how uh, what brought you to there. You said that your parents or your dad was trying to you know, get you away from oil and gas, yet you're doing both real estate and oil and gas, the two riskiest, like I said, throw, throw a restaurant in there and let's just call it the trifecta. I mean, you can't get any more riskier than oil and gas, real estate and restaurants. So talk to me about the passion you got. Yeah. So, you know, again, trying to get out of college and find a path for life and, and what was I supposed to be doing and and I had started working a job. I was doing, you know, small residential real estate, helping people find apartments. And at that at that job, a gentleman came in one day and he needed to get a, uh, you know, luxury high rise condo. And 
around. So I'd, I met with him and drove him around. It turned out he was the president of a company that, that focused on the energy sector and they had a real estate brokerage. They had a development division. They also had a general contracting division. And then we had a sister company, which was a $250 million equity fund. And so driving him around, he said, Hey, you know, you talking with him, he's like, you know, you, you know, a little bit about oil and gas, you know, you know, these markets, like, what are you doing at this apartment gig? You know, you should come work for us. And, uh, you know, as a, as a 23 year old kid, that was, you know, oh, wow, a real job. Like, you know, we dress up and I show up, you know, early in the morning and, and don't work weekends. And I also get to focus on oil and gas like that. That sounds great. Right. So I jumped ship and with really like, you know, no concept of what we were doing. I had no experience. I had no contacts, uh, but it was a start. And and so at that company, I worked there for three years and it allowed me to develop relationships you know, from small startup companies to some of the biggest oil field service companies that are out there. And and just going through that path uh, and, and having that company support, you know, really allowed me to build the foundation. And in 2014, when oil prices collapsed, uh, I could see the writing on the wall that that company, which generated a lot of its revenue from development construction of these oil and gas facilities, you know, that they, they were going to wind it down. And, and so I stepped out in February and, and said, okay, if there's a downturn, there's going to be a lot of trading of property. You know, people are going to need to get out of stuff and there's going to be people who are willing to buy 50 cent on the dollar deals. And, and all that's going to be, you know, trading, which is brokerage. And so I started NRG in the middle of a downturn. You know, I saw the opportunity that if we could provide, you know, a higher level of service than what was being met by the local professionals, that I should be able to have some success. And so NRG, you know, was formed and it was really just me. It was a one man shop. I always say we because in my in my mind it was bigger, bigger than just myself. And so I, I worked out of a bedroom in my house for about a year and then had a gentleman named John McDaniel join me. Uh, and then we had a full-time marketing admin and now we've got, you know, a full-time broker that lives in Midland and we have an office in Midland and we've got junior brokers here in our office here. So, uh, it, it's been a little bit of a roller coaster ride over the last five years, but we've been super successful and we do work with some of the biggest companies out there, but the, the, the fun ones and the interesting ones are the, you know, entrepreneurial startup companies because, you know, they're onto an idea or they have a concept and they're trying to put it out to market and they've got relationships and they need a facility. And so we'll, you know, help them navigate going out and like leasing their first property when they've never leased a property before. They, you know, they know how to run the know like gas operations, but when it comes to real estate, they've never done it. And so it's not so much like hold handing as it is like we get to explain the process and, 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 uh, they're very interested in it because they know that this is something they're going to continue to do and, you know, need more facilities. And, uh, as far as like giving back to the communities, yeah, I think we see that in a lot of the projects that we do because, you know, they're hiring people, you know, so they'll come in and they'll need a facility. And then the next thing is like, okay, well, where can we have our guys stay? Where can we go and hire new people? You know, where are we going to get parts for our store? And it's all about getting a local presence. Do you guys just do the commercial side of things? Do you do the, the land leases, the minerals, that sort of thing? Or is it just primarily buildings and, and commercial properties? 
we don't get into any of the minerals. It's all commercial properties. So we don't do residential. Uh, we will help companies like lease properties for man camp purposes, but we don't manage any of those properties. It, it's really just the commercial real estate aspect. Uh, and when we, when we talk about commercial real estate, we do do office leases. So we'll help companies that need a sales office. Uh, but, but majority of our work is helping companies, you know, buy, sell, lease, or, or dispose of industrial facilities, the metal buildings with the art space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's those are the early indicators of an economy. You know, kind of the second or third way, or I guess, tier on the ripple, you know, one way or another on, on things. So that's interesting to me. Um, and you're seeing, so West Texas is where primarily your business is. You go outside of there. And uh, how far, how, I guess, Shale Play USA, the whole United States, is, is, is your uh, yard now, huh? It is, yeah. I mean, and, and so whenever we go into an outside market, what we'll typically do is engage a local broker. So there's, you know, there's, there's no replacement for boots-on-the-ground knowledge. You know, we kind of have the larger macro view of what's going on in the industry. And then when we get tasked with an assignment, you know, like Chesapeake had us sell one of their properties in Oklahoma City. Uh, And in that instance, we have the corporate relationship with Chesapeake. We will do a cooperating broker agreement with a broker that lives in Oklahoma City, you know, who has the ins and outs and the nuances of who's buying what at that time. And we'll partner with him. And we'll cooperate on the transaction to get the deal sold. You know, same thing, like if we're doing an acquisition assignment and they need a property in Wyoming, you know, we'll go out, we'll survey the market, we'll engage a local broker who can handle like showing the the area manager through the properties and and also provide options to us. Well, we'll continue to be the single point of contact for our client. So we really have reach, you know, to do deals all across the nation. How can people get in touch with you or reach out and find out some more info? So they can go to our website. It's www.nrgrealtygroup.com. That'll have all our contact information and also has a lot of properties and that we're marketing right now. But the best thing to do is go to our website. You'll get our info on it. Just reach out to one of us. 